Hello, sword people, and welcome to the Sword Guy podcast. This is your host, Dr. Guy Windsor, consulting swordsman, teacher, and writer. Join me for interviews with historical fencing instructors and experts from a wide range of related disciplines as we discuss swords, history, training, and bringing the joy of historical martial arts into our modern lives. I'm here today with Jill Bearup, stage combatant, YouTuber, and a lightsaber twirler. I first came across her work through her YouTube channel, Critiquing Sword Fights in TV and Movies. You can search for Jill Bearup on YouTube and you'll find it straight away. And you can find her online at patreon.com forward slash Jill Bearup. That is J-I-L-L-B-E-A-R-U-P. So, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's pronounced Patreon, by the way. I'll pronounce it however I like, because I've got one too. <laughs> it's Patreon, Patreon, Patreon. I have heard it every every which way. And honestly, as long as people go there and sign up, I don't care. As long as you can spell it right, it's fine. I pronounced it <laughs> Patreon for like three years. And then yeah. I went to VidCon, where the guy who started it was there. And I was like, oh, yes, it's so wonderful. And then I heard him actually pronounce the word. And I went, oh, and I've been pronouncing it wrong all this time. But he's American. He cannot be relied upon to pronounce anything correctly, even well, his own company. One. <laughs> so, so I, I wouldn't be inclined to say that too seriously. Um, okay, so whereabouts in the world are you? I am in England, though, as you may well be able to tell from my accent, I'm not from here originally. Uh, I grew up in Northern Ireland, but nowadays I live in Kent. Ah, very nice. Um, okay, for those not familiar with English geography, that sort of start at London and go bottom right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so how did you get into swords and stage combat? Tell us the story. Well, swords I've kind of always been into because, you know, there is there is a certain kind of small child, I think it's most small children, to be honest, who is really into, like, Robin Hood and swashbuckling and sword fighting and all that kind of thing. Um, I didn't get into stage combat until I was 32. Wow. Uh, because, or was it 33? I don't remember. 33, maybe. Uh, so what happened was uh, we moved house a lot uh, in my 20s. So I got married when I was 23 and we moved around a lot for my husband's job. And uh, from the ages of like 18 to ooh, like 29 or something like that, 30 maybe, I had 13 addresses in 13 years at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got to Kent where we were going to be staying for a while. And I was like, I have no friends and I'm sad. And my husband said, well, maybe you should think of something fun to do. And I was like, I literally have no idea. So we went to the cinema, um, to see the last Jedi as you do. And I saw it and I watched the throne room scene, uh, where, uh, Kylo Ren and Rey have this massive sort of group battle with their lightsabers and all of these guys in red outfits and things are on fire and it's amazing. And I was like, yes. okay, there has to be a place you can learn to do that. Like, not learn to sword fight, because I'd done sport fencing at university for a little while and I was like, that's really fun. But I mean specifically where you can learn to, like, pretend to hit people with lightsabers. This has yeah. to be a thing. So I Googled it. <laughs> And it turns out there is an intensive uh, stage combat course, which is held in Kent, like the back end of like the very southeast corner of the southeast corner of England every year. And uh, I was like, I'm going to go to that. 
And I did and was like, this is actually the most fun ever. And uh, so I have continued doing it ever since. And I made YouTube videos. I've been making YouTube videos since 2011. But eventually, after about 18 months of doing stage combat, my friend said, look, you go on and on about this stuff. Why don't you just make videos about it as well? And I did. And it turns out people like those. So it <laughs> worked out pretty well. Excellent. So have you ever actually worked as a stage combat person or is it just a hobby? Uh, no, it's just a hobby. So uh, to be an instructor, you have to do a lot more work than I have done. Uh, I have done it. I am nine tenths of an actor combatant, uh, which is to say uh, when you uh, when you learn stage combat formally as a kind of drama thing, you can get qualifications at standard, intermediate, advanced level or one called specialization. If you get... 10 of those at any one level, you are an actor combatant, standard, intermediate, advanced, whatever. Um, and then after that, you can do training to become, you know, a fight choreographer and things like that. But uh, I, I am nine tenths of an actor combatant because I, I was like, I'm going to do it in 2020. Ah. You know what happened in 2020? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely yeah. nothing happened in 2020. Absolutely Naff all happened in 2020. Mind you, I did get to like one course in, in 2020 at the end of 2020. We all had to take like lateral flow tests um, and, you know, like say that we had just self-isolated and we didn't have any symptoms and all that kind of thing. But we got there. Uh, so I'm going to Kent again this year uh, to take three more exams and hopefully pass at least one of them and be an actor combatant. <laughs> Excellent. So... Okay, you probably aren't aware of this, but one of the early guests on this podcast, a guy called Arian Scott, his first introduction to sword fighting at all was the Sabre Legion, where people get together and whack each other with lightsabers. Um, have you tried that? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, I Occasionally, uh, I used to try and fight my husband, but mm -hmm. the problem with it is I'm not very... It's basically, I am ideal for uh, not... I'm uh, not really ideal for sword fighting, but ideal for stage combat because I'm very good at following instructions. Um, but like, I'm quite slow and short. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and they're quite heavy. And I'm like, I don't really, you know, so I have to get him really fast. Otherwise, he's not getting got at all, basically. Um, I had, I went to a convention in Lithuania, uh, 2019 or 2018, I think. And, uh, after I'd given my talk, they had HEMA people there sort of doing demonstrations. And they were like, mm -hmm. you want to go? I was like, yeah, I want to yeah. go. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, very quickly, I found out that it's sort of like, it's really fun and very painful um, because it doesn't matter how much, how much padding they give you. Someone will get you in the bit that isn't padded. So I didn't have any like thigh padding. And I got hit so hard there with one of the swords that I had a bruise, which was like, I'm trying to think of a, an appropriate sort of size comparison. Um, like about the size of three smartphones together, like just all across <laughs> my leg. Like, ow. <laughs> um, I can I kind of say that that is, that is representative of a certain elements within historical European martial arts, but it's not how beginners to our arts are normally treated well i so, mean i don't think they did it on purpose 
Well, that's um, the thing. But but you should only ever hit somebody like that on purpose. You should never do it by accident. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, being being a thug is one thing. Being an in, being incompetent is another. And I'm, you know, we we strive for competence, and we try, strive to keep the thugs out altogether, so the competent one can you know play without you know bashing each other too hard. But for that to happen by accident suggests that the person you were with was really not behaving themselves properly because they were going faster and harder than they were actually able to control which is well to be fair i don't think he really knew much about hema either right yes <laughs> <laughs> so so one has to wonder what the organizers were thinking <laughs> letting that sort of thing go ahead <laughs> um, just letting randos off the street go at each other it was it was a great time yeah. i was like i i did it and then i thought that was really fun, but also I really need to be fitter in order to do HEMA. To do stage combat, like, the fitter you are, the easier it is. But yeah. if you get too tired, you, you just sort of, you know, like, if you're too tired, you can't do the choreography properly. And so you, yeah. you have to stop. Whereas uh, with the... I think they gave me, a like, a, a cavalry saber or something. Okay. And I was like, within about... A, a minute and a half I was like this is so heavy that I can't keep my arm <laughs> which is also not a problem in stage combat because uh, we tend to use um, we te basically a lot of the time it's epee blades on a different hilt Yeah. so it's like we want it to look like X give it the X hilt and then stick an epee blade on it um, just because That's... those are less likely to, to cause anybody damage and also back, they're cheap. Yeah, yeah. Back back in the early nineties when I was starting the historical martial arts thing, the closest we could get to rapiers was stage combat rapiers, which had that epee blade, which is completely useless for doing actual rapier with because it's too short and too light. Mm. Um and then we took these stage combat blades and we found these mensur blades in Germany, which are um for doing like the German fraternity uh, head splitting open dueling. Oh yeah, and uh, they they work better, but they aren't tapered properly for a rapier. But they were you know better than what we had before. And it took it took nearly a decade, I think, before we started getting decent quality practice swords available for rapier. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm well familiar with the epee blade on a rapier hilt, which balance is all wrong, <laughs> but it's relatively safe, and you can whack them together and they don't break because they're made to high technical standards and. Indeed. Uh, speaking of high technical standards, you have an MSc in engineering. I okay, do. that is pretty unusual for YouTubers talking about stage combat. So, <laughs> in fact, of all I the, mean, of all the fair, stage combat YouTubers, it's pretty I know unusual this. for for there to be anyway. YouTubers talking about stage combat. But true, I take your point. Um, yeah. So, well, I originally intended to be an engineer. I liked sci You know, I liked science a lot at school, and I did maths and physics and English literature at uh, A-level, and then I went, what should I do at university? Engineering. I like making stuff. That sounds like fun. So I did, uh, yeah, I did a, a four-year. So I have a, a bachelor's in engineering, in mechanical engineering, and then for the master's year, they were like, if you want to do a master's in mechanical engineering, um, how do you feel about fluid mechanics? And by this point, I was like a little bit I enjoyed the degree, but having done some work experience, I was like, I don't really want to be an engineer, I don't think. And so I went, I hate fluid mechanics. I hate it with a fiery, fiery passion. All, you know, it's just, there's so yeah. much maths. And yes. 
I'm like, there's it's there's impossible. a level of maths I can cope with, and this is, you know. So I did a bunch of like other engineering related things and came out with a, a master's degree in just sort of engineering. Um, which but was not fluid mechanics. Not fluid mechanics. Don't <laughs> ask me about fluid mechanics. Well, actually, my next question was all about fluid mechanics, but seeing as you asked nicely, I'll cut it for you. That's very kind of you. <laughs> um, so, so you're not working as an engineer at the moment? No. no okay. I have never worked as an engineer, actually. I, when I graduated, I wanted to be a vicar. Um, and so I ended okay. up doing a bunch of work in uh, churches. And then they sort of, I, I went to, um, in the Church of England, you go through the the process and then you go to something called a bishop's advisory panel, which is right. a panel that advises the bishop, not a bunch of bishops that advise each other. Right. Um, you know, could be either. Um, and they said, well, it, it may be that um, you should be in the ministry, but we don't think that's right now. And I was like, okay, well, this this particular sort of road has closed off and now every other possible one is open, but... I don't really know what to do. And, oh, great, it's, uh, what was it, 2010? And we're in the middle of a recession and I don't have mm. any engineering experience. So I ended up being a nanny and, uh, like, a tutor. So I tutored maths right. and English and science for a while. And then we moved around a bunch of places. Uh, so I ended up making YouTube videos because I was like, I'm not really feeling very creatively fulfilled and I have free time, so I'm going to do that. Uh, Fair enough. Which, yeah. And uh, on your YouTube, I think the YouTube um, video of yours that I, I think the one that I first saw was your Princess Bride. Yeah, that's that's a lot of people's introduction. It's either that or how to fight in a dress. <laughs> well, I, well I, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with Princess Bride, but I know absolutely nothing about fighting in a dress. So why, why don't you tell us how to do that? Well, first uh, off, you put on a dress, I assume. Yes. Uh, so the uh, the video that I'm I'm kind of scripting and shooting at the moment is called How to Sword Fight in a Wedding Dress. But uh, a couple of years ago, I saw this little post on Tumblr, which was about how to how to gird up your loins in a ball gown so that you can you know fight in it. And I I looked at this illustration and I thought, I wonder if that would actually work. And so I got my camera out. And I put on my prom dress from 2004 and <laughs> I had a go. And then I made a video, which was like, you can, you're supposed to, basically you gather up your skirts and you tuck them between your legs and yeah. then you try and tie them at the front. Normally that you don't have enough fabric to do that. So you can just like tuck it into a belt or whatever. But yeah, I made a, <laughs> I made a whole video about it, which as it turns out, people quite liked. And then when I made it into a short so basically, I just zoomed it in so it was in vertical format. Uh, YouTube, in its infinite wisdom, decided that like 3.3 million people needed to see that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> Thanks, YouTube. I appreciate that. So, so, so the thing about about fighting the dress is you mm. is you pick up the hems and tuck them in a belt so you don't have all that cloth flapping around your feet. Basically, there are oh, other okay. ways to do it, but. Like, like that's the, that was the way that was on the illustration. And so that was the way that we experimented with. Okay. So what other ways are there to do it? Um, so you can, 
I think it's called kirtling, but I might have just made that up. Uh, basically, if you have a belt and you have a big poofy skirt, you just kind of lift the skirt up to knee length and tuck all of the sort of excess into the belt. And so now you're okay. wearing a sort of very bulky looking knee length skirt. Um, but if you have a big, if you have a big, quite solid hoop under your dress, then you've actually got, as long as you don't have lots of under layers underneath that, then basically you're just wearing like a, a plastic cage. Right. Um, and the, the fabric is over that. And so now no one can see your legs, but you can move them in any direction you want to. Um, okay. So as long as you don't have a train, like you need to tuck the train up at the back because otherwise you'd fall over it. But you can advance and retreat and lunge and traverse and whatever it is you need to do, provided that uh, the dress isn't like actually trailing on the ground and you've got some, provided that it's been pushed out of the way by the hoop. Wow, so actually crinolines are quite practical. Yeah, I surprisingly had... so. But I... then, like, they're ball gowns. You're supposed to be able to waltz in them, so you have to be able to move Good point. That's a very... I hadn't thought of that. Huh. Okay. Well, you learnt it here first, listeners. <laughs> this is... <laughs> crinolines are surprisingly practical for sword fighting. Um, okay, so... You have... Yeah, everybody loves the Princess Bride, and... You know, it's one of those absolute classics, possibly the best sword fight ever filmed. But leaving Princess Bride aside, do you do you have a favourite sword fight? I mean, it is one of them, but of it's kind It'd of everybody's favourite. Yeah. Uh, so the my sort of go tos are I love uh, I love the Princess Bride because it's just you know mm -hmm. it's amazing. I love uh, they all tend to be Bob Anderson, to be honest, because mm -hmm. I like. Um, I like the ones in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, I like uh, Elena and Zorro in The Mask of Zorro with Catherine oh, Peter Jones yes. and Antonio Banderas. That's like, a lovely that is, fight. It's like, it's just beautiful. Um, I like Jack versus Will in the, the blacksmith shop in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yep. And I really love, even though it's like technically very bad, I really love the throne room fight in uh, The Last Jedi. And okay. it, I love to say that because it makes people so angry. Why? Bec well, um, first of all, a lot of people, you know, really dislike The Last Jedi as a movie, which is fine. It's a movie. I you, can, it. you know, you can like it or dislike it. It doesn't, yeah. you know, it's yeah. your opinion and you are entitled to it. But because they hate the movie so much, they they also don't like the fight. Although I had a few people say, I like the fight, but I didn't like the rest of the movie very much. And I was like, okay. well, that's fair. But... It's um, like the way they put it together. And I, I, I basically did a whole episode on why it was so like why it doesn't look as kind of polished as it could have. The way they put it together was they did lots of long takes. They used basically they basically didn't have any stunt performer stand ins for um, Adam Driver or for Daisy Ridley. I think I saw like one shot, which was a stunt woman for Daisy Ridley, and I couldn't find any which were a stuntman for Adam Driver. And then they did loads of these long takes with, you know, eight guys fighting these two people in the middle. Stuff is on fire. Like stuff is really on fire. Yeah. Like they, you know, um, the, the, the outfits, the, the red guard are in, like the helmets, they can't really see. Yeah. <laughs> It's sort of like, this is kind of the perfect storm of, oh no. And so, you know, you've got like, you've got your guys twirling to nowhere and you've got your bits where you have to VFX out kind of knives and you've got 
you know, things. That, there are lots of things which are kind of technically improvable, if you if you want to put it like that. But because my background is stage combat, the like I can see all of the things about it which you could try and fix or improve. But the the most important thing for me in a in a movie sword fight is how does it make you feel? What does it do with the story? How do, what right. does it tell you about the characters? Like how does it drive the plot forward? And uh, like I remember the first time I saw it in the cinema, and like it took me right back to being you know eight years old and watching Empire Strikes Back and being like this is the most amazing thing ever. Yeah. Um, like the feeling that it gives me is really good, even if. Like, technically speaking, it's, you know, could be improved. Okay, so they had an enormous budget. And, you know, so plenty of time, plenty of money. And, you know, because the, the Force Awakens had made loads of money, so they were willing to chuck loads of money to this film. Why do you think they let the sort of technical level of that fight slip? I don't know. I think... Like when you're when you're creating a fight, whether it's for theater or for film, there's always going to be, you you always have to trade off what it is that you want. Um, and I think that it's like it's difficult to say, you know. <sighs> Basically. I think they were wildly overambitious. Um, <laughs> okay. Because it's it's uh so it's one thing to say we're going to have this fight and we're going to have uh we're going to spend x number of months training our actors to do it. Great. I mean, yeah. you have the time, you have the money, you have all, it, that's fine. Um but then when you add into that, we're going to add a really complicated set which is also an extremely uncomfortable environment to work in because parts of it are on fire, so it's very right. hot. Um, you then add in that you've got eight people against two people, which is not like that's hard to choreograph. That that's that's like it gets just exponentially harder every every extra person you had. Like yeah. if if it had been me, I'd have been like six. Six opponents maximum, and we're going to dispatch at least two of them as quickly as possible. I've I've choreographed a six-person stage combat thing for the opening of the Mask of Zorro in Edinburgh in uh, when it opened, like '99 or whatever it was. And so, yeah, we put on this this show sort of thing a few minutes before the movie began, and it had there was me, our Zorro. There was my camp caballero companion, Susan. There was captain of the guards. And then there was two other guards. So that's, there was five of us, right? And really quickly, we got it down to two people, right? <laughs> like, and, and, you know, the guards, we did the classic thing where I'm standing in between them and they lunge at each other and I roll out and they stab each other over the top of me. And, <laughs> right, every single, every single time, in rehearsal my hat had fallen off my cloak went over my head my ball got wrapped around my ankles or whatever but on that on the night it just went perfectly right but the point yeah we didn't we didn't want like lots and lots of things happening all the time it was just too complicated so we thought okay let's kill everybody off quickly so the two guards 
um, were killed off quickly. Susan was sort of injured and out of the fight. And then it was just me and the captain of the guards. And we fought and it was, you know. Yeah. The whole thing went really well. But yeah, trying to get eight on two. Yeah, it's like just you can... a nightmare. You can, you can do it, but... If if I were if somebody said to me, okay, we're I want to fight, and there are going to be eight guys versus our two heroes, I'd be like, great. Uh, can I have the stunt people now? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Just because yeah, just because every extra person makes it so much more complicated. So then you have eight guys versus two people, which is already very complicated. And then you add in the fact that the stunt performers, who are the ones you are relying on to sell it, because your actors are, are great, but they're not, you know... They're not highly trained for, stunt people. Yeah, training them for X number of months is not the same. They can't see what they're doing very well. Mm. And then you're going to compound this problem by making everything as long a take as possible. And so you have, like, the opening shot is just kind of thematically amazing because you have two characters who are who have till this point been enemies turning their backs on each other and drawing their swords so they can defeat the people who are coming to kill them yeah. and it's like you know i see what you're trying to do with like all of this chaos around them and in the middle you have the two characters that's, and that's wonderful but that's like 30 plus moves in a single shot which lasts about 10 seconds and it's just absolute chaos. <laughs> Which actually isn't necessarily that unrealistic because you would expect a certain a certain degree That's of true. chaos. Yeah. It's true. Okay. Probably not so much random twirling though. Like <laughs> Well, okay. I think I know what you mean by random twirling, but just just to make sure. What what do well, you mean by that? Uh, by which I mean so all of the all of the, the Red Guard kind of rush in at the same time but several of them stop on the way to twirl dramatically. Ah. They're not near anybody. It's just they, they're running too fast. And so they're like, yes, well, we'll just do a dramatic but- flourish. <laughs> 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 kind but- of like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see what you did there. And that is a function of having eight people against two. But I feel like we right. could have like, cut this down a little bit. And made you know, it I, have, simpler. I haven't rewatched that one for a little while. Um, and... Actually, it's one of my daughter's favourites. Uh, I have two daughters. My younger one is quite into the whole Star Wars thing, and she she particularly likes um, Ray, obviously. Sure. Um, yeah, we actually rewatched uh, the Rise of Skywalker mm-hmm. um, recently, and yes, the it's, it's just my kids aren't really into swords, but seeing one of my children go. Oh, that's so cool! And then pick up a stick and start twirling it around like it was a lightsaber. That's like, oh, maybe there's hope. Maybe there's hope. They will, they will take. You know, they will eventually take up the art. Perhaps, maybe. You know, light, lightsabers are a really good kind of um, gateway drug. I was thinking, yeah, very much so. We have, uh, so I have a Luke, uh, sort of like Anakin's lightsaber we also mm-hmm. have luke's green lightsaber oh that's return my favorite one that's my favorite one that's yeah because return of the jedi was the first star wars film i ever saw and i saw it in the cinema and that moment on that on jabba's barge where luke does that kind of flippy thing and catches his lightsaber and starts slaughtering everyone mm-hmm. i think that's probably like 
the moment when I was just fixated on swords. It's fair. Yeah. So we have those, and we also have like two kind of aluminium stunt lightsabers. Okay. And uh, yeah, my my little one is is very into it because uh, the stunt lightsabers come with you can change the color, and you can have that they're like there's like a twenty color LED thing. Oh my god! And now today it's going to be purple and. This one, I think it will have yellow. Daddy, come fight me. Wow. <laughs> Mommy, uh, come here. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy, I want to play fighting. Okay. How old is this one? Five. Oh, that's a good age. So that must, they must be enormous on her. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so I'm, I'm not familiar with the stunt lightsabers. Uh, basically, it just means uh, everything is kind of integral to it, and the blade is fixed so you can't remove the blade um, okay and it's it's ma- it's like a, a single machined piece with all of the stuff inside and you plug it uh, you you plug in the little thing at the bottom to charge it and you can't remove the blade so it's basically um meant to be reasonably affordable and also very tough so that you can like whack okay. it against a lot of things and where it do i break. get where do i get one of these uh i got mine from Saber Zone, I think it's called. Saber Zone, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. uh, they also have child size ones, uh, which I, I also considered. Um, okay. If only because it means I'm, I'm likely to get wrapped on the knuckles left. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's nothing like the enthusiasm of a kid coming at you with a, a lightsaber to teach you to protect your hands. Indeed. Yeah. Fantastic. Yes, oh, I, I need to go shopping, clearly. Because my daughter actually said, you know, she would quite like to have... Uh, well, she's not quite sure which lightsaber she wants, um, but she's thinking probably Leia's from Rise of Skywalker. That's fair. Yeah, because Leia's really cool, and it's a kind of cool sword. Okay, so I need to go to Saber Zone and start buying lightsabers. That is... Um, that's going to get expensive. How much are they, more or less? I am not sure. I, I think that the children's ones are like under a hundred pounds, but I got a deal okay. on mine. And so I think it was also a hundred, under a hundred pounds, but wow. Okay. It was like, now um, compared, compared to a proper, we're having that's like, cheap. we're having a sale. And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, and the blades are these polycarbonate tubes, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. <laughs> that's very exciting. Okay. So Star Wars aside, um, mm. do you have a, a favorite, like if, if people keep asking me, are there any good, like from a historical martial arts perspective, good screen fights? And my general answer is yes, with small sword and saber, no, with rapier or long sword, right? Because they, they never do historical fencing with rapiers or long swords, as, as far as I can tell, on, mm. on screen. So I think I'm coming at it from a slightly different angle. So, you know, if, if you were like, if you wanted to highlight like this, should we say the pinnacle of the stage competence craft, where would you point people? Um, so probably, it kind of depends, like uh, things with Errol Flynn in, Generally, okay. pretty because uh, I mean that it's named, you know, sort of waving your sword about in a generally martial but mostly just flashy fashion is called flinning for a reason. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, just because it's 
you know, it looks really impressive and it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's sort of, it's very flashy and cool and it makes six-year-olds want to pick up sticks, you know. Yeah. But uh, I think for storytelling, my, my first stage combat teacher, uh, when we asked him about his favorite sword fight, he always said the one at the end of Rob Roy with Liam Neeson. Oh, that's really good. Mm. Just because it's... And Tim Roth, like, it just it? Yes. Yeah. It uh, it tells the it tells the story so well and it tells yes. like a mini story inside the the fight and you you continue to have the the characters reinforce right up to the end. Yeah. Um and so that's that's a pretty good one from like a, a storytelling perspective. And it's not like, you know, particularly unrealistic either, which is not Oh no, sure. It has Yeah, I haven't seen it for a while, but I don't recall any sort of like stupid bits where you know impossible things occur like even the bit at the end i shan't spoil it for people who haven't seen it they need to go and find it on youtube or something and watch or you just buy the dvd if people buy dvds anymore um and watch that final fight and the thing at the end um actually would work you know, where he, where he, 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 ah, oh, how can I do this without spoiling it? It's like, you know what I mean though? That, that bit yes. that, that people would look <laughs> that at it and go, happens at the end is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The people who look at that, who don't know swords and go, nah, that would never work. Mm. But actually people who do know swords go, yeah, I've actually done stuff like that. And it's fine. Even with sharp swords, it works just fine. In fact, actually it works better in real life than it does in the, in the movie. You're less likely to cut yourself. Mm. Um, but yes. Okay. That's, that's a, Good choice. Okay. Now, bit of a segue. Mm -hmm. um, you have a separate channel for hair care. <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> now, all I can see at the moment is, you know, you're wearing these great big headphones like me. And, you know, so one, one wouldn't know, but you have like a tutorial on creating Princess Leia's laced braids, for instance. Yep. Right. And when my kids come home from school and I tell them what I did today, I will be pointing them both to that channel of yours because I think they'd find that more more interesting than the swords. Um, that is fair. So, so what, what's, what's going on? What, what made you decide to do a hair care channel? I mean, that was mostly because I had a whole bunch of hair tutorials, which I'd done before. Like I, I just did a series of them because Why? I felt like it, like I have a okay. lot of hair. So, um, and then I thought maybe I should like shove them all on a separate channel instead of, you know, because then if you're looking for a Princess Leia hair tutorial, then you can search for it and you can find it on this separate place as opposed to you come to my channel and you go, is this about swords or hair or I d I'm, I'm a little confused. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, which is why I haven't really put anything else on it recently because I've just been making other stuff, but I, I have really large quantities of hair and, uh, I like to do stuff with it. Uh, and so I was like, well, I'll just do some Star Wars hair tutorials. Cause I, I think I have roughly enough hair for that now. Why not? <laughs> Why not um, indeed? <laughs> so when I did, I, I did, uh, sort of, when I did sort of straight media analysis videos, I, I did a sort of series, which, uh, talked about, uh, each of the the Star Wars, like the prequels and then the original trilogy. And for each one of them, I did a hairstyle for the video that was from the movie. Right. Unfortunately, most of them were like, 
the the kind where you the the back of your head is really fancy, and yeah. so I'd be like. I spent 10 minutes putting this hairstyle together and none of you can see it. So I'm going to turn around so you can see it now. Okay, on with the video. <laughs> Fair enough. Have, have you ever done, um, you know, Amelia Clark's character in Game of Thrones? She has amazing, like, hair braids and things because for the Dothraki, mm. your braids are there to symbolize victories. And so every season her hair gets more complicatedly braidy. Um, I don't think I've done any of those. I have watched a few, but I've never right. watched Game of Thrones. Ah, okay. It's like one of, you know, it's one of those things where people are like, really? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, I, I also, I watched one episode of The Witcher and went, wow, the fights in this are amazing, but also, no. no. Let's just, let's just not. I, I had the, I enjoyed Game of Thrones uh, up until the last season, which was terrible. But the... The Witcher, I, I had the same thing. I, like, I watched it. I was like, this is beautifully produced. Um, the fight was pretty good. The monsters were really well done. And, but it just, I don't know, it just didn't work for me at all. Like, it didn't didn't hit any of the... I guess I just didn't care about any of the characters at the end of it. Mm. For me, it was kind of like, this is, t- this is too... T- I don't watch TV to get depressed, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I'm like, this is just this is just unrelentingly grim, isn't it? Okay, well, um, no, I'm okay, thanks. I'm, you know, I'm just gonna go over here and watch something else. <laughs> you know, I I found this the same thing, like particularly like during these pandemic times, is that my tolerance for the unrelentingly grim has just disappeared like I was I started reading this absolutely brilliant book um, called The Mars Room I think it was and it was like America this black woman has been sentenced to like 30 years in prison for something that she almost certainly didn't do and it's all just unrelentingly grim and blah 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 blah. and I got about 10 pages in and I thought I just can't cope with this so it's on the shelf to read in happier times Mm. and I went and got a book that I knew would deliver an absolute, you know, feel-good hit. One of uh, Lois and Master Bujols for Kozakin Saga. Um, I read that instead, and I felt much better immediately. Because, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so, other leaving aside The Witcher, leaving aside Game of Thrones. Okay, with Game of Thrones, I have to tell you a couple of things. Firstly, you're not missing anything when it comes to the fights. The sword fights in Game of Thrones are unremittingly terrible. Like... People who are supposedly famously good sword people are just just absurdly rubbish at swinging swords around. It does not make sense, right? So I think you're, you're safe. You're safe missing Game of Thrones. But is there any other like series or whatever we should be looking out for good sword fights in? Uh, nothing else really springs to mind at the moment. I don't think. Okay. Um, like most of the, I don't watch a lot of series because that implies like a level of time commitment that I usually don't have. Um, right. So I think the last series I watched the whole way through had no swords in it at all because, well, no, that's not true. I watched The Mandalorian. Oh, like, that was I watched great. The Mandalorian. And it's, it's, The Mandalorian is really interesting to me, not, not really because of the, the fights particularly, but just because of the way that people react to it. Because 
ever like I liked it and I was like this is great I'm enjoying this this is this is mm-hmm. nice I will watch the next season when it comes out wonderful but the the level of like love that people have for it and like mm-hmm. everybody it doesn't matter what you thought about you know the prequel it doesn't matter if you like the prequels it doesn't matter if you like the sequels no. it doesn't matter about any of those other things everyone seems to enjoy the Mandalorian and I'm like that is really fascinating I don't quite know why but you know, I'm I'm here for it. I have it. a theory. I just don't. I'm not quite sure why. Okay, I have a theory. Okay. Um, basically, the Star Wars original Star Wars movie is, is fundamentally a western, right? And mm-hmm. so there's a kind of there's a the original DNA is like a western movie, right? And the Mandalorian is a pure stranger comes to town western right and it is done it has this kind of flawless connection with the sort of the origin stories and origin source of the whole star wars project and it doesn't have any of the kind of crappy distractions that you get in the first three movies or episodes one to three it doesn't have the hokiness of the um four five and six and it doesn't have any of the kind of odd lack of plotting in the last three, right? I mean, the plot holes in the the last three movies are just, you know, you could drive trucks through any, the smallest of them. But Mandalorian is much more tightly plotted. It's, it has its you know, gaps and lacuna or whatever, but it's, it's, it's got all of the kind of crappy stuff stripped away and it's just the pure Western. And... To my mind, it's great TV, but like Rogue One, probably the best of the new Star Wars movies as a movie, Mm. right? But to me, it didn't deliver the Star Wars hit at all because there was no lightsabers. There were no Jedis and no lightsabers. And to me, Star Wars is all about Jedis and lightsabers, right? So Mandalorian, also, it didn't, to me, it wasn't really Star Wars. But it was it was great. It was great kind of sci-fi western that happened to be set in a in a universe where a lightsaber might show up any minute, which kind of kept me paying attention <laughs> just in case the lightsaber showed up. Um, yeah, I I thought like I I I felt kind of the same about Rogue One. So I know some people who were like, yes, that you know, it was it was the Star Wars experience for me again. I was like, really? I didn't I didn't yeah. get that at all. But. I think that was also kind of because I watched it and I was like, see, but I don't go to the cinema to be depressed either. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there is, this is not going to end well and I'm going to be sad. And I, I, you know, like that there are enough depressing things in the world. And so I watched it and I was like, that's, that was, that was a decent movie. It was a well-made movie. I'm glad I saw it. I have no particular desire to watch it again though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it once, and I recognise it's a very well-made movie, and you know, it's 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 higher quality than most of the rest in terms of script and plotting, and whatever. But yeah, not a Star Wars movie for me. Um, okay, now I have a couple of questions that I tend to include interviews with, and the first is, what is the best idea you haven't acted on? Uh, that is probably going to be 
video related because I have lots of really good ideas for videos, but okay. that require other people. And so I uh, really wanted to get like half a dozen people together and put together like a a good kind of, you know, like this is how you do a group fight and have it work well and tell right, a story. Okay. And I'm like, that is a really good idea and I think lots of people would like it, but also it's going to require so much organization and also like, you know, people being in the same place at the same time, which is has been tricky to arrange <laughs> the last kind of yes. twelve month period. Okay, so a a video with basically teaching people how to put together a good one against many fight. Is yeah. that the Okay. Yeah, because when I, like a, a, a little while ago, I put, uh, I had a, a Patreon goal and I put together, uh, I got a friend of mine who is a fight choreographer and I was like, come and be Petruchio and I will be Kate and we will do uh, like a scene from The Taming of the Shrew, but with more violence in it. Excellent. So I was like, okay, um, which was great, but it was like by necessity because of, you know, didn't have a lot of money or time or whatever. It was very kind of small scale. I'm like, now I have lots of, you know, subscribers on YouTube and sponsors and stuff. Oh, cool. I, I could do this and, and have a budget of more than like 300 pounds, <laughs> which would be great. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I don't think you'd have a hard time getting volunteers together. You know, people with swords and what have you. Because there's, there's loads of historical martial arts clubs around who might you know, be willing to collaborate on something like that. That's true. Um, I mean, I tend to prefer to, you know, I, I tend to prefer to pay people anyway when I can, sure. but I'm like, no, that's actually a possibility. So, <laughs> like, that's, so, that's so, kind of cool. So the, the patronage model is working for you? Uh, yeah, pretty well. Excellent. Yeah. That's good to hear. Because I, I know some people for whom it works really well and others for whom it doesn't work so well. What do you think the, the sort of the key to success is there? Uh, so I had a, I've had a Patreon since 2014, I think. And so it used to be just for the, the kind of regular media analysis videos that I made and it's like, it's really, really personal connection driven because I used to have an audience of like under 5,000 subscribers and I still made about $500 a month on Patreon. Okay, and that's pretty good. Now I have like five times that number of subscribers, but I make about twice that on Patreon, which is, you know, like, I, it's that's not bad at all. Like, sure. I'm, I'm very happy about it. But the the deeper the connection that the audience has with you, the more likely they are to be like, take my money and do something cool with it just because right. I want to see that. Um. And so I think having like an established, having an established audience before starting the Patreon kind of helped because, sure. and having like a, a large backlog of, you know, you have spent years with me at this point, or at least a couple mm-hmm. of them, you know, you know who I am and it's, you, you know what we do here. So it's, uh, makes it easier. Also, honestly, I think when you're a little bit smaller people are more likely it's 
like the the relative proportion of people who give to you on Patreon, there's there's kind of a, a kind of sweet spot in there. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where it is. I think I've blown past it. But um, again, not complaining. It's it's awesome. But when you're very very small, um, you can still make decent money on Patreon because of that personal connection with your audience. If you're really big and you have a Patreon, then people might think, well, you already earn enough money yeah. anyway. I'm you not going to give d- you any more. Yeah, you don't need my help. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, interesting. All right, now my last question. Somebody gives you a million quid to improve swordsmanship as represented on screen. How would you spend it? Oh. Huh. I think probably I would start with sending everyone who is ever going to be involved in a longsword fight to some kind of intensive course where they learn about longswords specifically. Yeah, okay. Because, yeah. like... Longsword fights on screen are always shit. It's, uh, like, the Game of Thrones thing, mm-hmm. particularly, I haven't seen a lot of the fights from there, but... Painful. It, it looks like... I, I look at it and I, I haven't done a lot of longsword, uh, though when I did it, I was like, I like this much better than arming sword. This is great because I did an arming sword course and I, I went into work the next day, like with a wrist brace on because my arm, <laughs> like my wrist hurt so much. I was like, clearly this is a technique problem, which I will have to work on, but also, ow. But then they give you a longsword and you get two hands. Yeah. Like, yes, much this is excellent. Um, but they don't seem to... They don't seem to know how to use having two hands to make it move. Yes. If you understand what I mean. Yeah. So like, I'd just be like, okay, look, every, everybody likes giant two-handed swords in their fantasy movies. Uh, you know, fantasy movies are great. Let's do that. So, But let's learn how to use them so that you can actually, you know, use the, the momentum of having two hands to be able to turn them rather than just bashing each other like it's a really big stick. <laughs> right. Okay, so so you would you would spend the money sending anyone who's ever going to hold a longsword on screen to, yep. I guess people like me to teach them how to use a longsword properly. Yes, that's I think that's a brilliant use of the money. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like yeah, it's it's because it's one thing to it's one thing to sort of be told how to use something or to be taught it in mm-hmm. in a week, but to actually practice it over like a slightly longer period of time would I feel be helpful because I mean I passed my basic exams in 2018 I guess and I I still have like the the rehearsal footage and I'm like oh, oh baby Jill oh you're si-. like it was, it was a time like I was sure. so tired but uh, and uh, but you can t- you know i'm holding it like it weighs so much because i was just completely out of it and now i'm like yes no this is much easier i know what i'm doing now but yeah like more practice more practice for everyone <laughs> well honestly i i think that is a perfect place to conclude because yes more practice for everyone <laughs> i couldn't agree more well thank you very much for joining me today Jill. it's been a delight thank you it's been great 
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jill Bearup. You can find the episode show notes at guywindsor.net forward slash podcast. While you are there, you can sign up to my mailing list and I'll send you a free copy of my book, Sword Fighting for Writers, Game Designers and Martial Artists. I'd like to thank my patrons on Patreon for their kind support of this show. It really does make all the difference in the world. Not least because there is a community of patrons to whom I can go to whenever I'm wondering who I should invite on next or if I have some particularly interesting guests. Well, all my guests are interesting. But if I have a someone coming on and I think the patrons might have interesting ideas for questions to ask them, I can ask them to suggest questions and so on. If you would like to join us there, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash the sword guy. And join us next week when I'll be talking to Dirk Hagedorn. Dirk is a translator and author and historical martial arts practitioner going back decades. His list of publications is absurdly long, including translations of Gladiatoria and the Gladiatoria Krakow and the Kushner's Messer Fencing Treatise, Peter von Danzig, etc., etc., etc. And we discuss all sorts of um, book projects and working with treatises, etc., in our interview. I should also say that, of course, in historical martial arts circles, Dirk's main claim to fame is in his alter ego as graphic designer, he did the layout for the German edition of my medieval dagger book, Der Mittelalterlich Doch. I can't pronounce German at all. Um, but that is, of course, his shining pinnacle of historical martial arts achievement. <clears throat> or maybe not. So, anyway, join us next week when I'll be talking to Dirk. And to make sure you don't miss that awesome episode of Awesomeness, you need to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And while you're there, if you would like to rate it, give it as many stars as you can possibly manage, an entire constellation would be great. And if you would like to review it, uh, pull out a thesaurus and look for words that are synonymous with awesome, amazing, wonderful, great, etc., etc., etc. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next week.